we're talking about some ancient aliens. Yeah, kind of. Yeah, that's kind of what we're doing. That's kind of what we're oh, doing. Was that your attempt at the X-Files theme? Yes, it was. Yeah. Okay. It's best not to question it. That's exactly well, what it no, was. I, I, I can just put it. in the real theme, so it's just easier. <laughs> I'm just <laughs> confirming that there wasn't like an ancient aliens theme that I don't know about because no, I do, don't watch that show. We do stand David Dushepi in this household. fucking fantastic. It is good. <laughs> and so actually, good. I got to say, it, it, it aged pretty well like you can still go back and watch it and it's still pretty fresh which is i just discovered that my mom has hulu which means i have hulu so i've been going back and watching ancient aliens it's really good (laughs) yeah that's ancient aliens or x files ancient aliens you've been watching ancient that's exactly what we're talking about like you shouldn't do you know that right (laughs) what you mean It's entertainment. <laughs> Motherfucker, you got me listening to goddamn Alex Jones. Don't you tell me what I should and shouldn't yeah, watch. Yeah, and Art Bell. <laughs> I've been watching. I've been listening to Art Bell. <laughs> uh, okay, so in all this time, Dalton, I'll, I'll throw it out to Charlie, too. Have you ever heard of Planet X? Oh, yes. it seems vaguely familiar. Like, I've heard yeah, it before. So, yeah. yeah, like, there's, I, I know the, the, the name, but I, I couldn't tell you what it, what it's about. So, um, is that where Wolverine comes from? Stop it. No, but Charlie Grant Morrison's new X-Men run. He has a whole arc. Um, when Magneto takes over Manhattan and it's called planet X. Really? That's yep. dope. Yeah, it's my it. favorite mm. fucking run of X-Men Oh, it's ever. dope when Austin talks about it. When Dawg's talking, oh, fuck you. It's Cause you just throw shit out. You didn't know that. I didn't No, You were just trying to drag X-Men. Uh, no, I wasn't trying. You were to coming it. at it. I was trying very... to connect it on a way Charlie. Uh, no, know. you were coming at this with a Georgia public school point of view, which means completely <laughs> uneducated and misinformed. <laughs> wow, I've never thrown so, it to you, Dalton. There, I've really <laughs> never done that, have I? <laughs> there was this debate on Twitter today, and fucking, <laughs> we broke Dalton. He's broken. Uh, uh, <laughs> of all people, of all people, um, Edith Surreal was like shit talking the X Men. And she's like, well, somebody said something about it. And she's like, well, I am an X-Man. So it's like, I, I have a say in this. And I'm just like, God damn it. <laughs> I was like, damn you. That's not right. That's not right. Um, Fuck you. That ain't supposed to be funny. <laughs> <laughs> but that is a really kick-ass run of X-Men. Grant Morrison's run is my absolute favorite. It's maybe my, maybe my number. It's easily top five favorite comic book runs of all time. Uh, good stuff there. But no, hmm. we're not talking about Wolverine. No, don't mean to cut you off. Yes, you do. The strawberry frosty is fantastic. Fucking phenomenal. That's why you were in the draft through for 25 minutes while they were trying to figure out how to fucking make it. <laughs> <laughs> do the strawberry go in before or after? Is it what you say, mango? I don't know, Clyde. Just make the damn shake. <laughs> um, all right. So, plan it out. shake is. 25% semen, by the way. <laughs> That's fine. That's fine. This is what happens in Dalton. Everywhere he goes, he just encounters men. Is this what, men ha- is this what wanna... happens whenever men eat strawberries before they come? <laughs> I've heard about pineapple. I've never heard about other fruit. 
Yeah, you should try asparagus sometime. <laughs> Why are we sitting here pretending like I haven't tried my own cum? Come on now. Let's be honest. And it's not an episode of If You Catch My Griff without Dalton chiming in something oh, like that. You're telling me. There's our Charlie, bumper going into the show. Charlie, are you telling me in front of God and everybody that you have never, even as a youngin, just like, hmm, I wonder. Never. Smelled it, never tasted it. Never, ever, 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 ever. It's got a nose of bleach and a taste of salt. All right, kick it up. Let's see if you catch my grip. We're a podcast about con artists, charlatans, and thieves. And I am Dalton. I'm joined by Austin. Heaven And Charlie Butters. Hey All right, let's talk about Planet X. <laughs> okay. So you both, it sounds vaguely familiar to both of you, but you can't quite put your finger on it. That's fair. Right. That's fair to say. That's a fair starting point. Um, all right. So in a nutshell, it goes that there is a rogue planet that enters our solar system roughly every 3,600 years. And when it gets close to Earth, all kinds of crazy shit happens. Catastrophe. Um, it usually has like a possibility of colliding with the earth. Yeah, so it's yeah. like into the world shit. And, um, yeah, that's, that's it. And, and I, I'd, I'd heard it a couple of times, a couple of different people like growing up that planet X was a thing. I feel like it was like one of those things that like morning DJs would like fill their, the, the, the void in the morning with like when they ran out of news, they'd start making shit up and planet X was definitely this is DJ, DJ, Dicky D, and we're here to talk about Planet X. Is it going to collide the Earth? No. Right. And we kind of like as a culture really love it. There it is. <laughs> but we like as a culture kind of love this apocalypse shit. So I think this this is really on Every brand Every generation us. thinks that they're living through doomsday. Yep. So we're going to talk about this woman uh, to start off with. Her name is Nancy. I think it's Lighter. Uh, Nancy Leiter, she was a big proponent of Planet X, said it was coming. And it, these were the early days of the, the World Wide Web in like the mid 90s. So this is like wild, wild west of the Internet, which I think was a, a ton of fun. A lot more innocent times than it is now because it's horrible now. Do uh, I remember? <laughs> yeah, you don't. You were a fetus. Well, um, I mean, we didn't get a computer in my house while I was in high school. So, so 2017. Now, what the fuck? <laughs> No, dude, I was a freshman in 2008. I, I conned my grandma to buy a computer because I needed it for schoolwork. You just you, you need to leave that poor lady alone. Uh, dude, I was like 14. <laughs> Come on, man. All my friends had a computer. I just wanted a computer. You just wanted that porn porn. Um, so I, I totally looked up porn in like the family computer room. <laughs> so i well okay you're gonna remind me of the story then i gotta get back on track so i worked at um a, a computer company that's named after a fruit and while i was there one of the guys you're talking about pear from my carly right <laughs> exactly pear i worked at pear and uh one of the the associates came over to me and told me this story he said well so this father and son um came into the store and this was early in the iphone days um and the, the father was buying his son an iPhone 
And so as part of the setup, like you would, because the iPhone was new, you would like, Hey, let me tell you how to, you know, set your phone up. We'll go ahead and download your very first app with you. And, you know, just make sure that you know how to do it, how you, you know how to use the app store and everything. And so uh, the son or the dad is talking to this associate who shall remain nameless, even though I do remember his name. And the son is playing with the phone, right? The phone's set up. So he's going over there. And so this associate goes over to the son and he goes, so now we're going to show you that I'm going to show you how to download an app. And he looks at the phone and the kid has already downloaded Grinder, And he goes, and this is the associate's case. So he knew exactly what this app was and what it looked like. And he goes, and, and his dad goes, oh, it looks like he already knows how to do it. And the associate was like, I'm out of here. Have fun. Wonderful. I'm not getting involved with this anymore. I'll see you later. <laughs> Which I oh, loved. Man. I that was a great story. That's I what love you, that. First, first thing you do is download Grinder. Um, so anyway, <laughs> kids will always find a way, man. Always always find find a way. Porn will always find a way. I think is the better thing to oh, say. Yeah. <laughs> <No> kids. <laughs> yeah. Be careful there. <laughs> um, so Nancy, this woman, Nancy Leiter was the founder of a website called Zeta talk, which, uh, to this day is full of some of the wilder shit I've seen on the internet. It is a fun place and it's an archive of all the stuff that she's been doing since the nineties. And she still posts there. Lots of conspiracy stuff. But uh, back in 1995, she was a simple messenger of the Greys from the Zeta Reculi star system, which is approximately 39.17 light years from Earth. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. People yeah, so not into know Greys are your stereotypical, you know, space alien that yep. you would see. Big heads, big black eyes. Yep. Real skinny little bodies. Those are the Greys. Um, well, so- probing Dalton's anus. Well, that's they what one episode of South Park. Uh, so she claims to have been abducted by the Zaytans as a young girl and over the course of that abduction uh, Zaytan genetic material was voluntary implanted into her brain so she had been chosen to communicate between the Zaytans and the people of Earth sounds like a uh, very nice distinction to have yeah so she's convenient yeah she started up Zeta talk and basically this is a site where she 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 would post uh she would post all the messages that she re- received from the zaytans you know what's wild she got this clearance from the grays right and she was like okay so what i'm gonna do is i'm going to immediately expose you guys to the internet right. <laughs> and i hope that you're cool with that <laughs> well they did i mean they they definitely did because they shared all kinds of information with nancy that she would post on zeta talk and um None of it, though, was more urgent than her message on August 6, 1995. Um, this was right after the Hail Bop comet was discovered, which was like a big fucking deal in 95. Hail Bop, Bop, yeah. Hail no, Bop. Not named, and that's not the Hanson song. <laughs> it was named after the two um, amateur astronomers who found or who, who saw it and identified it. Oh, cool. and so Virgo and Leah. It was no Hail and Bop. Oh, okay. Gotcha. <laughs> Um, so she, she claimed, she said, you know, the media is really focused on hail bop and whether or not it's going to hit earth and all this other stuff. And she's like, it's merely a distraction. The real threat was planet, <laughs> planet X. X. <laughs> <laughs> you know so, what? Fuck, fuck porn will find a way. Grift. Grift will find a way. <laughs> Grift, Grift will always find a way. Maybe that's a good genius. t-shirt. That's a t-shirt. They just took end times uh, preaching and turned it into sci-fi. Yep. 
So they get the fucking nerds too. Yep. <laughs> and you're preaching on the internet. So of course that's where you're going to find your audience, right? It's going to be a bunch yeah. of nerds on the Fuck early internet. Yeah, I love this. <laughs> <laughs> I told you you would. Um, so it, every time the, uh, the planet, like I said, every time it comes by earth, there's a catastrophe and Nancy seems like particularly fixated on the impending pole shift that's going to happen. So this, this planet, which is four times the size of the earth is going to come close enough to the earth. And she calls it a wobble caused by the gravitational pull. And it's going to pull the, the, the poles, not completely reverse them, but it's going to pull them about 90 degrees. And All what right, that's so going to, that's going to mean what back up. This thing is four times bigger than earth. And we can't see that motherfucker. Yeah. Yeah. What? <laughs> okay. Yeah, back to the pole shift. I'm sorry for interrupting. There's a lot. Well, there's a lot of problems with this. Just, just wait. There's a lot. Nancy's kind of fun. Um, so she predicted that, um, India would become the new South Pole and Brazil would be the no- new North Pole and that the current North and South Poles would now be located acro- around the equator. So it's just going to come by and go whoop. <laughs> just imagine a bunch of penguins dance of the <laughs> Oh no. <laughs> it's like happy feet. How late are we in? How late are we in? 30 minutes in, <laughs> Dalton does a racism. <laughs> it's like it's like the Bollywood version of Happy Feet. You could have said anything. You could have said penguins dancing at the Taj Mahal, but you had to go sing out the song. You fucking disgrace. <laughs> so he's going to make sure he fucking is racist towards all Indians on this show, not just Native Americans. He's got to fucking hit the ones overseas, too. <laughs> he's got to hit the OGs, too. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Um, so obviously this would be really bad if the poles shifted by 90 degrees, right? I think we can right. all agree on that. Yes, um, absolutely. <laughs> so as, as time went on, she added more and more detail to the story, right? Cause that's what you have to do to keep people kind of in your sphere of influence. Um, she, um, she said that the orbit stretched out, uh, to 18.74, and this is her quote, sun Pluto distances. And as far as I know, there's that, that's, so I'm going to explain it because that's not an actual astronomical measure. No, <laughs> What's, not. What she says is it's the distance from the sun to Pluto times 18.74. The, the distance from the sun to Pluto changes depending on the fucking year. Very good. That's very good because sometimes it's in Pluto, orbit. Yeah. And sometimes Pluto is actually in, in front of Neptune and sometimes it's outside of Neptune. Yes. So, yes. So it's a very accurate. And I love that she was like 18.74, like an accurate number. <laughs> but then she, <laughs> she puts that. So it's a ridiculous measurement. Um, but um, it's almost, uh, yeah. So it's almost 19 times the distance from the sun to the Pluto at its furthest out. Now, it's not a traditional orbit either. Um, rather, she says that it slingshots between the sun and a dead star, which is the twin of our sun every, and this is her very precise, 3,657 years. <laughs> so someone, so she's got this weird thing about like twins 
And she, so not only does she say that there's like our son and then there's a dead star that never developed and that's the son's twin, but she also says that there's a, a, the earth has a twin, but it's always on the opposite side of the sun. So we can never see it. And it's a dead rock. That's the same size of the earth. And it just, How convenient. yeah, it just <laughs> rotates at the same speed. So we never see it. And I'm just thinking we have enough fucking instruments to see the phone, like something on the other side of the sun. It's like, this is just insane. So that's that's her kind of weird thing. Uh, she's got a lot of weird thoughts, and I think we we might end up. I found a podcast with her the, from a, from the web archive, and I think we may do a bonus episode where we just go through all the ridiculous shit that she said. Oh, baby. just like like a we clip show. Podcast that work. We could just <laughs> yeah. play clips with it. Yeah. yeah. So there's it's a it's a good one. She's got a lot of theories, um, and I'll actually read some of her fun theories. So um, it was um, in in 2001. She delivered another message. Planet X was in our solar system already and that it would be closest to Earth on May 27th, 2003. Do you have any uh, photographs from May 27th, 2003? So she says she does. And actually, there's a bunch of photos on Zetatalk.com. Unfortunately, it looks mostly like lens flare. (laughs) So I didn't realize Hmm. that from 1995 to what do you say? 2007? 2003 that that was 300 or 3000 and how many uh 3600 and what 57 years yeah, <laughs> no so that's, 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 no so she just started talking about it so 2003 would have been the 3657th year from when it started its orbit back to the solar system so she didn't say it made it that whole distance that time but she only became aware in 1995 because she only became a zeta whisperer in 1993 so we gotta wait three millennia to see this again. Not fair. Yeah, it's it's kind of fucked up. Do you but, think that Planet X is uh, will explain why people have like um uh, like the, the the whole like uh, Berenstein and Berenstain uh, yeah, and all that Mandela kind of? Thing. Do you think that's what it is? The yeah. Mandela effect yeah. is actually due to Planet X. <laughs> that's what I'm feeling fuck, like Charlie right now. just figured it out. <laughs> I'm feeling it like that's that's what actually is like shit's transferring over from planet X when it gets close. Well, I think I think the chick's onto something. I, well, I will say this is a spoiler. Um, it never showed up in 2003, but she had a very good excuse as you to why call it, it lens flare. I call it planet X. Yeah, yeah. Well, no, she she eventually you're not allowed the, to see it. She, so no, not- she eventually fessed up and was like, I got the date wrong or did I? And, <laughs> and she released three a three-point uh explanation of why it didn't happen and i'm gonna read it to you from zeta talk (laughs) number one please a word for (laughs) it this is a quote this is a direct quote number one the establishment and those groups who would take advantage of good-hearted folk would use this knowledge to better entrap and enslave and ensure their own survival at the expense of the good-hearted so some some globalist shit pretty early on um, number two, the timing of this can change slightly due to matters in the solar system, such as that a miscalculation could, could see us in horror watching good-hearted folks trying to save those dependent upon them too late by days or hours, a matter we would prefer to avoid and a later announcement more precise. It does not make a lot of sense. That's exactly what she wrote, though. I'm just going to say that. So I didn't know oh, yeah, editorial. I, I don't understand any of that. She just talked about how basically it was like how that panic people would panic and freak out and mm-hmm. there might be a slight miscalculation and she wants to make sure the Zetas want to make sure that they avoid 
doing that and saying, Hey, if it's going to be this day, don't freak out because it might not be precise. They want to avoid a false alarm. Yeah, exactly. And number three, earth changes and the exact position of the earth in relationship to the passing of the planet will change slightly as the time approaches. So warnings for this or that part of the world may change at the last minute or the last week in any case, best to leave it for then no misunderstandings can occur. So this space race that has advanced to the point that they are sending telepathic communications for the human yep. that cannot predict where the earth will be in its orbit on a specific day. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Holy because shit. Time is irrelevant to them. Like it's, it's not, it's not linear. Like it is for us. It's, it's a whole different thing. That's why it's all confusing. We don't understand. Yeah, the we just yet. we're just not equipped to understand it. But well, she we're does. not there yet. We'll get there soon. She's 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 on the right path, but she's not there yet. I feel it. Gotcha, so, gotcha. And I'm um, back on board. So, in addition to the to the, to the lens flare photo evidence on the site, um, she also has guides for survivors of the pole shift. So, once it happens, she has guides for a bunch of different cities. So, I okay. thought. What we would do is I would take the three cities that she had on our list that were closest to the three of us and read what's going to happen just so you guys can be prepared and be careful. Fuck okay. yeah. Okay. Okay. All right. I'm ready. So I'm going to start with me because I don't know why I put that. I just pulled them in that order. Um, so New York City, parts of New York City begin getting flooded at 10 to 20 feet and the entire city area will be underwater at 100 feet. This means that your skyscrapers, if left standing, would have 600 feet of water around them. Tall buildings will vibrate at different rates during the earthquakes, bash into each other, and thus collapse. This is an addition to what is known for city dwellers everywhere, exploding gas mains and water mains, so fires cannot be extinguished. Those who plan on staying in your cozy city and living in whatever uh, sticks up above the water, whatever has not been burned, with others who will be starving and looking at you as a meal. (laughs) The bridges will be down. Any rail service impossible due to twisted rails. The water sloshing around, so boat service is inconceivable. So well, I'm fucked, mm. guys. Yeah, I'm sorry. Okay, yeah, nice you're done. I'm no, done. Maybe I'm Victoria's done. right. We <laughs> <laughs> should just move back out to the country. So unfortunately, there was no Jacksonville, so we got to go Atlanta because she just she didn't have a write up for every city. Okay. Southern cities on the East Coast, such as Atlanta, Georgia, at an 800 foot above sea level height, will watch for flood approach. This is due in part to the timing of the stretch and rip, as the stretch will be sustained for the better part of an hour during a time when water will rush from the poles, where it is moved during the stopped rotation and will have the push of oncoming water behind it as it flows up against the coastline. I have no idea what that means. I, I can't even decipher it. Okay. Atlanta, stationed between the Gulf and the Atlantic, will also find itself at a place where two floods, both with their own timing of ebb and flow clash, this has the potential of heightening the water, forcing it up to an astonishing degree where the clash occurs. So it sounds like Atlanta is just underwater. I got a boat, bitch. You're also closer to Jacksonville, so <laughs> we gonna be all right. We gonna be okay. Seems like right. most of the East Coast is gonna be underwater. Yeah. But uh, Charlie, you're gonna be in luck because she really likes fucking Pittsburgh. This is like one of her favorite cities, and she talks about it uh, in other places. Pittsburgh's greatest danger during the hour of the shift will be the river coursing through the town. Strong and well-established drainage in an area not subject to mountain building will find itself utilized aggressively to drain the deluges that will fall. <laughs> during the shift here (laughs) hurricane force winds passing over ocean water will pick up water tonnage and drop this suddenly in horrendous downpours when updrafts along mountain ranges occur 
These these are so badly written. Um, Those who have not witnessed rampaging water moving with great force when under pressure from the water upriver, creating water pressure that seeks a release, will be shocked to watch the speed and height that such raging water can attain. Those along the headwaters of the Ohio, where it passes through ravines in well-established drainage conduits, will be advised to stay well away from and above the anticipated flood. So it sounds like you're far enough away from the river where you'll be just fine. Cool. Um, so Dalton will be in a boat. Damn Charlie's, oh. Charlie's going to be in his room and I'm going to, I'll be dead. Ohio is like just a bunch of goddamn cockroaches. No matter what you do, no matter what you fucking put at them, they fucking survive. It's wild. It's wild. It's wild. <laughs> so I, I, there was a bunch of conspiracy theories and some of them were really fresh to me, but I found one that I really, really liked and I want to read. It has nothing to do with Planet X. This is all Nancy though. Uh, yeah. And this was back at when George W. Bush was in office and she said, um, she believes that Al Gore more or less made up global warming for his documentary called the, the, An Inconvenient Truth, which was about global warming, um, in order to stay in the mainstream. Uh, she said that Gore was the last popularly elected president. And when Bush and Cheney are arrested for their crimes, he will need to step in and take over. because. Oh. You know, that's how the Constitution works. Okay. <laughs> so she was like anti-Bush, anti-Cheney, okay. pro-Gore, anti-global warming. Okay. Just kind of um, a stance. You know, I I can appreciate them. I think she's dumb as fuck, but, you well. know, <laughs> she's got the spirit. <laughs> so you're going to be sad to learn and probably not surprised that more recently she's taken um a turn and she is full back anti-vax mm-hmm. uh, at the very least Q adjacent. She does talk mm-hmm. about Q a little okay. bit and she's okay. a big old Trump supporter now up days. So anti-vax that's... makes sense. If you're anti-global warming, you're definitely going to be anti-vax. Yeah. She actually said at one point that uh, global warming was caused by planet X coming near the earth. And what it does is it shakes the earth. And so uh, the core of the earth, like, Heats moves up. around and like the hot stuff comes up to the surface and that heats up the, the, okay. the planet. So got a kinetic energy situation going on. There's there's a lot. Okay. <laughs> so all right. Bye, Nancy. We're gonna move on. Um <laughs> but I really do think there's enough in that podcast where we can go through Dude. and it's it's from like nine, it's from 2004 or something, 2005 I don't know. We're gonna go. We're, I think I'm gonna I'm gonna I've already downloaded it. I think we should go through it and, and yeah. just talk about this because there's, there's a lot. There's a hundred percent down. Uh, <laughs> Patreon.com slash if you catch more gift if you want to get that bonus content. Once we have <laughs> yeah, we have free in the bank ready to come out. So you know, just fucking subscribe, give us money. So uh you guys were both alive in 2012. Um yes. Do you remember <laughs> do you remember in, in theory? Um the world was going to end in December of that year in accordance yes. to the Mayan calendar, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, so I was at a end of the world party that day. Were you really? Yeah. I've survived multiple end of the worlds and um, so it's here, shocking, so. isn't it? It's yeah. shocking. It's weird yeah. how that always happens. <laughs> so do you actually know what was going on with the calendar at that point? It just, it's, I just, just ran stops. out. Yeah, <laughs> it just stopped. stopped because... it doesn't, so it doesn't actually stop. It resets. So okay. it, re, it it's resets on what it's called a baktun and that is 394.26 years long which is the equivalent of 144,000 days um so i yeah it's it's basically a baktun resets and then the clock goes back and starts the brand new baktun and this was 
the very end of the 12th Bakhtun and the beginning of the 13th Bakhtun, right? And everybody was like, oh, we haven't seen this happen in 394 years. It must be the end of the world. No, it's just this, this clock resets and starts over again for another 394 years. Um, so nothing, nothing happened. But again, when this was going on, there were more rumors of this planet that the Mayans knew about like crashing into earth. And that was what was going to bring this about. How many times does this planet have to show up and not do nothing for them to realize it's a bunch of bullshit. Well, my guess was originally when all that happened was that, uh, whoever was making that Mayan calendar at the time. And was at that point, they got raided by like conquistadors and got just wiped <laughs> out at that point. So that's why it just ended there. They just <laughs> shit happens. Yeah. Yeah. I think a lot of people thought it stopped, but they were misinformed. It actually just resets every yeah, 144,000 years. So it wasn't anything like you would see in a movie where all of a sudden, like the clock would just stop and everybody would sit there in silence and wait for the Mayan aliens to land. But, um, yeah, so we, I guess we're going to check back on that in 2407 because that's the next time the Bakhtun resets. Um, okay. Anyway, I love numerology, numerological stuff, and I'm going to talk about that really quick. This is a total like side side, side mission for me real, real quick. Um, the Mayan clock has a lot going on, right? It's got the number 13, which is really big in numerology. Uh, and it's in the, like, as in the 13 Bakhtun, which was starting, it's considered to be an unlucky number, right? Oftentimes. It's the best number. It's, well. My so favorite number. In, in Wiccan traditions, the number 13 is considered the ideal number in a coven. Um, according to the Aztecs, the heavens were also divided into 13 different levels. See, see what I'm saying? There's a lot of, there's a lot of stuff going on, which is why people thought it was going crazy. Um, there were 13 people present at the last supper. Jesus and his 12 mm-hmm. disciples. Uh, and on Friday, October the 13th. Socialist was, icon, Jesus Christ. <laughs> on Friday, October. It was definitely black and not a blonde haired, blue eyed white man. No, that's for sure. Um, so on Friday, October the 13th, 1307, King Philip the Fourth of France ordered the arrest of all the Knights Templar, which is why Friday the 13th is a thing. Um, mm. For years, builders left off the 13th floor in elevators due to a phobia called, I'm going to fuck this up. That's not what the phobia is called, but I'm going to screw up the pronunciation. <laughs> <laughs> I think I have that phobia too. <laughs> Triskaidekaphobia, uh, or fear of the number 13. And this is the part that I think Dalton's going to really like. There are 13 letters in the Antichrist. There are 13 letters in New World Order. There are are 13 letters in Judas Iscariot. I don't know what that is. That's the guy who, oh who betrayed Jesus. You were just talking about Jesus. Oh, Judas. Just, okay, yeah, yeah Judas I don't know his scared. fucking last name. Come on, man. So anyway, I'm just... Fucking, he's just Judas. He's the I, Judas in my mind. <laughs> um, yeah, so I... That's the that's that's the whole thing with like numerology. So you find a number, you can like backward, like work backwards and find all this stuff. Yeah, but that, it's not planet thirteen; you. it's planet X. X is ten. So what the fuck? Yeah, we'll 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 get into. It. We're not going to actually talk about a lot about thirteen, but one hundred and forty-four thousand. The next number I wanted to talk about comes up See, a lot. When whenever you have planet X, you got to add three X's to it, so it becomes planet porn, and then we can go back to kids finding a way to it. No, porn finds a way, not kids. Come on, you got to get this right. <laughs> um, Please edit that out. That joke did not nope. land. Nope. That joke did not nope. land. Because you, you've done it twice now. Say it. It's a bit. Um, 
<sighs> so 144,000, which is the number of days in the Baktun. This number actually shows up in Revelations, which is interesting because this was uh, this is from a calendar that was before Revelations uh, was even keep written. In, keep in mind that Revelations is uh, pro-Rome propaganda that was made because <laughs> Austin is where I'm going with this. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, it's uh, there were numerous books of Revelations and the Vatican picked the one that applied best to them. Yep. So, yeah. Maybe not the yeah, checkmate Christians. There's, there's some, there's some, I mean, it was originally written by Hebrews. So there's some, I don't know exactly who, who edited it, but there was definitely an editorial board that put the old Testament together. Like mm-hmm. they left certain things out and brought but it's a super we'll get cool story. It is, yeah. it is a super cool. That's the best book of the Bible, baby. <laughs> but, but it, but it mentions 144,000 by name uh, in revelation uh, chapter seven, verse three and four, it says, do not harm the earth, the sea or the trees till we have sealed the servants of our God in their foreheads. And I heard the number of those who were sealed 144,000 of all the tribes of the children of Israel were sealed. So it's a big religious number. Like um, Jehovah's witnesses believe that only 144,000 souls mm-hmm. um, from 33 AD, which is when Jesus died to the rapture are going to be anointed or res- resurrected to heaven in an immortal uh, spirit being that serves as the King of priests with Christ for a thousand years. Yo, listen, okay. Like whenever I give Christian shit, like, you know, I think they know I'm fucking with them. Like, you know, I'm not really like serious. I don't hate Christians or anything, but Jehovah's Witnesses, those <laughs> motherfuckers are nuts. You those know, folks is, are crazy. You know, who else is nuts. The Moonies. And they've got a big thing about 144,000 souls oh, being saved. <laughs> um, and who is not nuts because I don't want to get canceled. Um, in Islam, 144,000 is alleged to be the number of people who saw or met the prophet Muhammad while he was still alive on an I earth. will say this on that front. If I think about one organized religion, I probably think about all organized religions and yeah. I'll leave it. I'll leave it at that. So in um, 2017, planet X was back, baby. We're not through with this thing yet. Um, this time it was from a guy. I'm assuming a guy, a person going by the pseudonym, David Mead. Um, and Mead is a bit of an odd duck. He has been labeled a Christian numerologist, but that actually fundamentally doesn't make sense because you can't no. be a Christian and a numerologist at the same time. So, yeah, he's weird. I mean, nobody knows what his real name is either. But Austin thinks genres don't exist. No, what? I don't think what? But mm-hmm. Austin thinks genres don't exist. You can't be a Christian and a numerologist at the same time. It doesn't <laughs> make sense. You can just be people. It's just people. Why, why are you kicking shit around? <laughs> I didn't... <laughs> I didn't say genre doesn't exist. <laughs> Genres ain't real. But, but you can't be no Christian. You can't be a numerologist at the same time. It All don't right, make I'll... sense. <laughs> I'm the host, but maybe I'll ha- I'll pass the host to Charlie and then he can just mute you whenever he wants to. <laughs> okay, I'm done. I'm done. I'm sorry. <laughs> so, okay. So a little, a little bit about this genre defying uh, Christian numerologist from the Washington Post. <laughs> This post-punk country person. Absolutely. He's basically Hank Williams III. He's punk and country all at the same time. Um, so I'm, really, is, I'm really surprised to know who that is. Good job. What do you mean? Oh, come on, I'm man. I'm surprised you know who Hank Third is. Man, hell yeah. What's his punk band's name? Uh, fuck. Oh, did I just catch you on your heels? His metal band is Super Joint Ritual. We had okay, what's his punk band? I don't fucking know, man. Ass Jack. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, I knew that. Fuck. Mm. So, from the Washington Post, 
Uh, when asked where he lives, he said only that he's in the heart of a major disaster zone after Hurricane Irma. When asked where he went to college, he said only that he studied astronomy at a university in Kentucky and declined to say which campus, citing safety concerns. His website says that he worked in forensic investigations. Ah, I am prosecuted. I'm a white Christian man. <laughs> and Please I'm don't the, track me down. I'm prosecuted people in this country. Don't track me down. Um yeah, his website says he works in forensic investigations and spent the last 10 years, quote, writing special reports for management for Fortune 1000 companies. But he ignored questions about which companies those were and what he currently does for a living. So this guy is definitely on the level, right? Totally honest. Nothing to be suspicious of. No, no, no. Everybody that's worth trusting hides where they are. Yeah, right. <laughs> and, and refuses to answer even where you went to school. Just saying it was a university Damn in right. Kentucky. Damn right. So anyway, this guy, Mead, the less you know, the better. That's how I know you can trust me. <laughs> Mead uh, predicts that Planet X or Nibiru, which is what he Nibiru. calls it. Nibiru. Yeah. Ooh, now it's starting okay. to ring some bells. Yeah. All right. So he calls it Nibiru would strike the Earth on October in October of 2017. He cited the solar eclipse on August 21st, 2017 as a harbinger of planet x don't, don't you mean the, the one that i went outside and stared directly at yeah that's definitely i know you don't remember that but that's definitely what you did no i do remember that and that's exactly what i did they were like <laughs> you need sunglasses you need sunglasses i'm like shut up bitch it's dark it was, yeah you and trump <laughs> um so he would later he would later adjust the date <laughs> stop <laughs> <laughs> that was really funny. I'm sorry. <laughs> so this guy Mead uh, originally said October 2017. He moves it back to September 23rd, 2017, and then changes it again to October 5th, 2017. Um, he had predicted that uh, Nerubu would eclipse the sun and then North Korea, China, and Russia would use the darkness to launch a nuclear attack on the United States. So this guy's like full <laughs> out. Not only is Planet X coming, but the, the Russians and the Chinese and the North Koreans are ready for it. The Imperial March is playing in the back of his head somewhere. <laughs> exactly. Um, <laughs> so when those dates came and went, uh, Meade proposed a new date, which was April 23rd, 2018. Um, so since then, and that obviously again didn't happen, he seems to have abandoned his uh, Nerubu talk uh, after the April event. Um, he, like Nancy, would pivot to politics, publishing a book in 2018 titled The Coup d'etat Against President Donald J. Trump. The Coup d'etat. Yeah. He didn't just stop at coup, he went the whole phrase, Coup d'etat. <laughs> then in 2020, Mead vanished. Uh, he hasn't written anything, and his website's domain was purchased by a seemingly unrelated company. His last prediction was that the end of the world would only happen after a thousand years of peace. So I think we're probably good for a while. But oh, yeah, 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 David yeah. Mead is gone. Um, Thanks, Russia. Yeah. So, <laughs> <laughs> he's out of here. Um, goodbye. So where did this story come from? This is not something that this woman, Nancy, cooked up or this guy, David Mead, no. you know, picked up on this. This actually has older origins, and that's going to be kind of the heart of this episode. That was all kind of an intro into who we're actually going to be talking about. 
That's just the intro. <laughs> that, the motherfucker has been an hour. <laughs> <laughs> See, at this point, I would usually just go, Dalton, and all of that's bullshit. And you'd be mad yeah. at me. But no, that's not what we're going to do. We're going back a little further. Um, it's So it's taking us a little while to get here. But the main subject for episode today is a guy named Zechariah Sitchin. You ever heard of this guy? Neither of y'all? Sounds familiar. It does sound familiar. Um, so Sitchin was born in what is currently uh azerbaijan on july 11th 1920 when he was young uh i think he was around three his family moved to palestine which is now modern day israel um as a young boy he studied uh he was a student of ancient languages mainly hebrew akkadian and sumerian so he liked his languages very very old um (laughs) old as dirt yeah literally (laughs) so Sitchin would go on to study economics in London and earned a degree from the University of London. After his studies, he returned to Palestine and began working as a journalist. Uh, it's worth noting that he would, to his dying day, call Wait. himself a reporter. What? I know who this is. Who? I know who this is. This I know who. Tell me. Who is it? I can't put my finger on it. I'm, I'm, the name's familiar. I know what he's done. I know who this is. Well, we'll see if that's true. We'll see what's, we'll see what's going on. Um so he never called himself a scholar or a doctor or a scientist or a historian. He always just called himself a reporter. And I think that came from his early journalist days. Um, he went on to fight the Nazis in World War II. He fought on the side of the British, which is good for There's nice- a fucking red flag. God damn the fucking British. <laughs> Jesus <laughs> Christ. He's a Jewish guy living in Palestine. He's definitely not going to side with the Nazis. And that's the probably fucking really good. British, though. And I have to say at this point, because I'm going to drag Eric Von Doniken a bunch, that's a whole lot more than Von Doniken ever did for the world. Listen, that fucking jewel teeth America thief. may be a shithole, but at least we're not goddamn Great Britain. All right. All right. Starting to, trying to start beef with the British for some reason. Take your fucking beans on toast somewhere else. <laughs> See, so where I live, we got something called freedom. Okay. Well, they're beans and toast and they're fucking really good health care. And their multi-party parliamentary uh, system. Three hundred dollars for life-saving medicine like a fucking man. <laughs> um, so he moved to New York City in 1952. Uh, once again, he found some work as a journalist before taking a job as a shipping clerk which really was a good job to have because there's I feel like we've talked about a few people that worked as shipping clerks. It was during this period he began researching what would become his life's work. So before we talk about his life's work, I'm going to talk about kind of his approach, right? So his approach is not necessarily a scientific one, but um, it is based around the Sumerian uh, cuneiforms. So the Sumerian clay tablets that he studies and that's, he's been studying these ancient languages. He starts to translate them. And there's really not a lot of translators of ancient Sumerian. Like you'd be surprised, not really popular field. Even today, there's only a couple hundred people that can properly translate these, these tablets. So he's definitely one of the early people in the field. Um, and even though these things go back to, you know, um, almost um, close to 4,000 years before Christ, you know, I mean, like these are very old, they weren't actually translated until the mid 1800s. So we had been trying for a very long time to translate these things and we never, never got it. Um, so of the 2 million cuneiforms that the tablets that have been discovered only it's somewhere between 30,000 and a hundred thousand have actually been translated and published. That's because mm. these translators are in such high demand. 
right so okay. this guy's on the scene he's like i can read this stuff and people are like all right cool man yeah go ahead. Supposed to, wait we're just supposed to believe him well i mean he did study it and he 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 you know i mean he 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 claims to be an expert right and i'll let okay. you judge i'm not gonna i'm not gonna weigh too heavily on this one i'm just gonna okay. tell tell what i know um so we'll I, I the other thing is i guess i should say this before we'll never actually know if these translations are 100% correct even by by any of the experts right because this is a this is an ancient language that took us a very long time to figure out how to translate and we're you know we're using our best context clues and historical references but there's no straight translation that exists so it's like mm-hmm. a bunch of people kind of have to agree on the translation but you don't ever right. know if it's exactly sure right in, in context you can lose a lot little translating language is tricky enough it's not going to have a one-to-one translation of there's any no one language, much yeah. less a fucking old language like that right unless you find a rosetta stone which they didn't think about back then so you, you right. won't find something like that um so there's always room for interpretation and i think that that's that's kind of his niche is he's like you interpreted it this way i actually interpreted it as a little slightly different not a lot different but just a little different um so in the 70s sitchin would finally start putting together all of his research and what would be his very first book and that's the book we're going to talk about today it's called the 12th planet um and it would be published coast couple- to coast huh coast to coast he was on coast to coast once once, just once. And it's a very hard episode to find, but he was definitely on Coast to Coast once. No, but he's it's fucking Coast to Coast. What do you mean? That's where I, I think that's where I know him from. Oh, so he's referenced a shitload by a bunch of guests on Coast to Coast, but he himself has only been on Coast to Coast once. Okay. All right. That makes sense. Yeah. Okay. So he's, that's, I think that's where you're getting it. You've heard other people talk about him on Coast to Coast because they like, he's, okay. he's got a lot of followers. And so a lot of gotcha. people believe him. So that wouldn't okay. surprise me at all. Um, so the, the 12th planet came out a couple of years after Chariot of the Gods. So the ancient alien craze had kind of already started started up. Um, now, here's the difference between him and Von Donneken. Well, A, Von Donneken is a clown. But uh, Von Donneken <laughs> would like sit there and point at things that look like How astronauts. Chariot of the Gods is a New York bestseller. Yeah, yeah. Well, you, that doesn't mean shit. So How is the dare you so is the, the great name of so, the New York Times. So is the secret. That's the New York Times great bestseller. Um, <laughs> so the difference is like Von Donneken was like, oh, look, there's an astronaut or an object that he couldn't comprehend, like ancient people's actually being able to make. He'd be like, right. clearly from space. Or then he would be like, but I'm just asking questions, you know, like, I'm just <laughs> like, where did that come from? I don't know, but it probably wasn't Egyptians. And so he just, Egyptian, he, Egyptian dumbest rock. They cannot make structure. Right. They're ancient. They're primitive people because they're brown. And Von Donneken was <laughs> right. a terrible racist. Um, Sitchin had a different theory. And I think this is what makes him really interesting. His was, he said, basically, he's like, what if these things that we today label as myths were actually history, things that actually happened? You know, so like, what if these things that we call gods actually did exist and walk on earth? I am on board. I know. So he's like, you know, he's kind of like today we think of God and it's like some unseen, unknowing, like ethereal being. But what if to the ancient people, there were actually physical gods on the planet? Right. And so that's it. That's, right. his, that's, that's his whole his whole premise is what if myths so his- are history? So his thing is like fucking, I don't know, Greek gods. Like you, there was just an alien. They couldn't comprehend as an alien. So they labeled it as a god. You are so much closer than you even know. 
Because yeah. I am 100. I've had that theory forever. I'm on board with that. I'm on board. <laughs> so his is his is like, what if myths? If we take our myths literally, what does that look like? And how how do these translations change based on a, a literal interpretation, a literal Christian devil, the literal Bible you know, translation? How do we how do we how do we look at the world if that's the case? This guy's beliefs are all over the place in popular culture. Like he, he really permeated his stuff is, is really, really influential. And I actually didn't realize how much it was until I started reading. It and I was like, Ooh, he, he spreads all over the place. And he's a very sweet man. Sitchin's thinking is different than anybody else. Right. Like he's leaps ahead of everyone else. He, it, rather than like just asking questions, he has developed a foundational theory in which he's going to base all his writings on, right? Myth is literal. Hell yeah, a thinking man. I like it. And now all he has to do is assemble all of the evidence, support his claims, and prove that to his readers, right? right? Simple enough, easy enough. And that's actually what he does, kind of like over, maybe overdoes. He's a good writer, but he like kind of overdoes it. Like he proves the point too hard and he just kind of rambles a little bit. Um, but what he attempted to do was draw a straight line between the ancient Sumerians, the Babylonians, to the Hebrews who would have written the Old Testament, right? And it's not hard to do because there's a lot of similarities in in like this. those stories kind of repeat each themselves over time. Mm -hmm. So a lot of the stuff that's in the New Testament was in the Babylonian histories and was in, you know, like the myths of, of Babylon and, and Sumeria. Right. Um, but let's start here with uh, Genesis chapter six, verse four. And I don't know how much Old Testament you got in your church. Probably not oh, very much. brother. Yeah, brother. Yeah. Right. Fucking well, then, Pentecostal churches, hellfire, brimstone. We get nothing but fucking mean, nasty Old Testament. All God. right, all right. Okay, so here you go. There you go. <laughs> you can maybe finish this for me. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days, and also afterward, when the sons of God went into the daughters of humans who bore the children to them. These were the heroes that were to, were of old warriors of renown. You know the Nephilim. I mean, I've heard of it. Yeah. Okay. So in that, in that thing, but I've only heard of Nephilim, not from the church, but from a conspiracy theory person at my work. So the Nephilim are the Nephilim the and the Anakians yeah. and stuff like that. Yeah. That's all we're about to get into it, Bubba. Uh, the Anunnaki, not the Anunnakians. Anunnaki, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. We're about to talk about them. So the sons of God in that are thought to be the fallen angels, and they came to Earth. They impregnated human women, and the Nephilim were born as a result. And there's still a lot of debate as to who and or that's what. why people live like 850 years and shit right. like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. And so the the Nephilim are See, my, my old church. I don't mean to keep cutting you no, off. No, it's fine. Go. My old church would explain it. Their explanation for people living like fucking thousands of years would be that the spirit of God was still pure in them. And that was that was how they explained it. They still yeah. had the essence of the heavenly father. It's a little like that. It's like a little like this was our we had hundreds of years, thousands of years as humans originally. And then every time we kind of like fell in God's favor, he would shorten our mm -hmm. lifespans. Right. Um, until they got to Noah and Noah was a few hundred years and he was like the last of the really long lived people. Um, mm -hmm. There's a, a lot of debate as to like even today who the Nephilim are. But in Hebrew, the word Nephilim roughly translates to giant. So they were considered giants and they're, they talked about in the Old Testament and people are like, maybe that's a metaphor. And Sitchins is like, no, they were probably real giants. They were <laughs> roaming the <laughs> earth like they were the sons of angels and humans and they were giant humans. So uh, or giant peoples. Um, so early 
this again, this is really early in the Old Testament. It's Genesis chapter six. It's only six chapters into the Old Testament. You've got giants. Um, but there was even more evidence of these giant Nephilim existing on earth alongside man. And this is again from the Old Testament. This is from Numbers chapter 13, verse 32 and 33. So they brought to the Israelites an unfavorable report of the land that they had spied out, saying, quote, the land that we have gone through as spies is a land that devours its inhabitants. And all the people that we saw in it are of great size. There we saw the Nephilim, the uh, Anakites come from the Nephilim and to ourselves, we seemed like grasshoppers. And so we seemed to them. So they were spying in the Nephilim's land. And they said, these are big people. We resemble grasshoppers to them. We are insects to these guys. Interesting. Okay. So it's showing up a couple of times in the Old Testament. It's just, you know. Almost like that's all some fucking dinosaurs or some shit. Right. right. <laughs> you know, if you want to think logical, but, you know. But, okay. uh, it's, it's a little late for dinosaurs, but, you know, that's what it is. Um, so, I mean, these are clearly like giant, powerful people of some sort or beings of some sort. Uh, but who were they? And again, like I said, a lot of people were like, maybe it's a metaphor. And Sitchins is like, no, no. Um <laughs> I don't think so. So Sitchin was Jewish and he no doubt knew these Old Testament stories, right? These were what he was brought up on. He knew about the Nephilim and all that kind of stuff. But it wasn't until he started studying the Sumerian tablets that he started to connect the dots. Um, Specifically, there's a tablet that's now called VA-243 that he became transfixed with. Um, In this depiction, there is a seated God speaking to a human, and then there's another God standing behind the human, right? God in quotes. Um, What caught his attention is on this tablet, there is a star-shaped object surrounded by 11 of these other circles. And what he said is, the star-shaped object was the sun, and these 11 planets, these 11 dots are the planets. Okay. Now, you're probably saying to yourself right now, there are only eight planets in our solar system. Nine, Pluto counts. Nine, if you count Pluto. <laughs> Very good. That was literally my next line. <laughs> I will not take this fucking anti-Pluto propaganda. <laughs> so, Sitchin says that, that, um, that the sun and the moon would have been considered planets to the Sumerians, right? right. So that's nine plus two is 11. Mm-hmm. So now he's They're saying right on the money. Yes, but he's saying that there were 12 in that picture. There was a sun and 11 planets, which brings the total to 12. So what's the deal with this 12th planet? Well, Sitchin would go on to theorize that this planet was called Ibiru, and it was the home planet of the Nephilim interesting <laughs> i knew you were gonna like this one this I'm is like on board <laughs> um so the nephilim were an ancient race of beings who came to earth from another planet and according to sitchin uh nurubu exists in an orbit outside of our solar system most of the time but once every 3600 years it makes its way into our solar system Sitchin also theorized that life on Nibiru had a head start on life on Earth by about 45 million years. So it makes sense that these beings came to Earth further evolved as a species and a civilization. Um, So it was 
during one of these rotations that when you know it comes into contact with Earth, the, the Nephilim began, began to take an interest in Earth, uh, most likely observing it from their planet when Nerubu uh, passed close enough to Earth, right? So they got so their telescopes head cannon Is Planet X or Nerubu still the size that that woman said it was? Um, I think it's much larger. I think she took a lot from what he said. Uh, and, and these books are really dense, so I'm trying to like siphon it down as much as I right. can. But yeah, Nerubu is much, much bigger. I don't know if it was exactly four times. It actually might have been larger than what she'd said. I mean, that um, makes sense. A giant's going to have it. It needs to be a bigger planet. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And and so he gets into a lot of, he doesn't get into like the polar shift stuff. He doesn't get into like the forces of gravity. He's much more interested in the way that the people are organized and, and like the beings and the society is organized. And that, you know, just really proving that there is these, these people and what their influence on earth was. So okay. he doesn't, she kind of gets caught in the weeds on that stuff where she's like, there's the wobble and the polar shift and all that stuff. So, it, it, you know, that's kind of just, she took a lot of his work and I think added to it in a way that she thought made her sound more, um, more scholarly or, you know, mm-hmm. like more, more, I don't know, accurate. I don't, I don't know. She's kind of strange. She's an odd duck, but anyway, Oh, Nancy. Um, so this is actually from the, the 12th planet, uh, traveling on board a planet that was itself a kind of spaceship crossing the paths of most of the other planets. The Nephilim, no doubt first scanned the heavens from the surface of their own planet. Unmanned probes must have followed sooner or later. They acquired the capacity to send out manned missions to the other planets. As the Nephilim searched for additional, an additional home earth must have struck them favorably. Its blue hues indicated that it had life sustaining water and air and it's browns disclosed uh, firm land, its greens, vegetation, as in the basis for animal life. Yet, when the Nephilim finally voyaged to Earth, it must have looked somewhat different from the way it does to our astronauts today. For when the Nephilim first came to Earth, Earth was in the midst of an ice age, a glacial period that was one of the icing and de-icing phases of Earth's climate. Interesting. Okay. So, yeah. So they got here during the ice age. Um, I wonder if they saw the squirrel. <laughs> no. <laughs> So <laughs> that would put their first landing, he estimates, uh, uh, by the Nephilim on Earth around 450,000 years ago. Okay. Is, yeah, long time ago. And they clearly saw something they wanted on Earth. And again, from the 12th planet, they searched, no doubt, for a place with relatively temperate climate where simple shelters would suffice and where they could move around about in the light in light working clothes rather than in heavily insulated suits. They must have also searched for water for drinking, washing, and industrial purposes as well as to sustain the plant and animal life needed for food. Rivers would both facilitate the irrigation of large tracts of land and provide a convenient means of transportation. You so know, basically- maybe, maybe for Nibiru, you know, they went under, you know, a climate crisis much as ourselves today. And, you know, their version of goddamn Elon was like, we got to get off this fucking planet, man. This shit's fucked. <laughs> <laughs> they came over to Earth. Yeah, it's we'll talk a little bit about that and like maybe what that was. Um, but for now, it's just kind of a, they're looking at it like an outpost. Um, the other thing that it had that they needed was fuel for their operations. And this is when I start to go, hmm, uh, the Nephilim w- would hardly have ignored another need, a source of fuel and energy. On Earth, petroleum has been a versatile and abundant source of energy, heat, and light, as well as vital raw material from which countless essential goods are made. The Nephilim, judging by Sumerian practices and records, made extensive use of petroleum and its derivatives 
It stands to reason that their search for the most suitable habitat on Earth, the Nephilim would have preferred a site rich in petroleum. These motherfuckers were digging for oil. <laughs> their gas was $5 a gallon, too. That's why they fucking... They're like, oh, it's not fucking expensive here. Now it's expensive here. Go back to your phone fucking own planet, goddamn. Go back to your own planet. We don't want you here. I'm gonna I'm gonna reserve my judgments towards the end, but I'm just I I just thought that was worth pointing out that like this far advanced civilization that still really needs oil. Looking for gas. Yeah, exactly. EVs where they come from. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, so the first landing devices that they came uh, to Earth splashed down in the water. Uh, but soon after arriving, they began to build launch pads so they could come and go as they pleased. Right. So they built these ancient. I mean, this is a long, long time ago. Um, so I just think that it's like this is an alien people that was far more advanced than anything on our planet at the time. And this is one of the, the places, Charlie, if you've seen the movie Prometheus, this definitely like has big Prometheus vibes. I know Dalton hasn't, so I didn't even ask him. No. Um, <laughs> yes, I saw Prometheus. I saw it in 3D, and I regret it because I fucking hated it so much because <laughs> it ruined getting a good alien, uh, fifth alien film because he wanted to do those stupid prequels. He did what he wanted. But we're getting another Predator movie, a Predator prequel, which looks kind of which fun. Which looks fucking dope. Yeah, yeah. it's really fucking dope, which is why I always like Predator more than Alien. All right, so the Nephilim, it should say at this point, right? And this is going to make everything else make sense. Have a different sense of time than humans do, right? Because with Earth, it takes a year to go around the sun. Mm -hmm. So according to Sitchin, because it takes the Nephilim 3,600 years to go around our sun, that 3,600 years in people time equals one year in Nephilim time. So they're very big people. And they live a very long time because their time is perceived differently. Right. And that's, that's so just keep that. Cause these, these guys get very old and they survive for a very long time. Um, well, that's what I said. Remember I said that they perceive time differently than we do. That's that lady was wrong about her times because she didn't understand how to, how it's perceived. Yeah. Figuring so, this all out. So the, to the Nephilim, they're like, Oh, we go by earth every year <laughs> in yeah. their own time. They're like, that's oh, just right. a routine thing. It's no big deal. Um, so fucking let's say uh, you know Adam, Eve, Cain, all them living 850 years to them is like living 85 years on Earth time, right? Interesting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, Almost like it fucking makes sense. <laughs> so fast forward about 15,000 years, um, or five years to the Nephilim, around five years to the Nephilim, and the great ice sheets begin to melt off as the ice age ends. Uh, I think this about this time and Sitchin is not precise on this was when the Nephilim discovered gold, a mineral weirdly needed on Nerubu to power their technology. So now, in addition to oil, we also have gold and these are precious metals. Yeah. These are things that they, they want. They need obviously on their planet, they've mined it dry. They don't have any more gold. So they got to come here and take our gold. So I'm tired of the damn aliens coming over to our land and stealing (laughs) <laughs> Dalton told me he wanted to mine my precious metals off air. He did. He then he said, "Babe, yeah." <laughs> I think I'm gonna become a babe guy. Yeah. I think I think that's gonna be yeah. I think that's my new well, art. Gonna work, gonna work. Be careful about that because it made me feel like the pig babe. So you know, 
Oh, mm. Charlie. Mm. <laughs> no, I'm just teasing you. I just wanted to fuck with you. <laughs> it's like I wanted whole, to make you feel special. That's a, that's a whole lot of animal play there, him calling you a pig. <laughs> anyway. Yeah. So as part of the new their new colony on Earth, the as Nephilim, long as I ain't a pay pig, it's fine. Why wouldn't you not be that though? Like you're you're over here like I can't afford my bills. Well, Step I up. don't want to be a pay pig. I don't want to be a pay pig. If he's a pay pig, that's fine. You can give me money if you want, Charlie. But I'm not. I'm not going to be a pay pig. Charlie's been out of work. Why are you going to hit him up for money? You need to put it an appeal to our listeners. Isn't that the way grifters work? Isn't isn't <laughs> grifting of you give me money target? now while you're poor and you'll make all kinds of money in the future? No, actually, that's that's a good point. <laughs> but if I did want to target our listeners, what I would tell them is go to Patreon.com/slash if you catch my grift. To give us money in exchange for nice content. Some of which money helped Charlie pay some bills while he was out of work. So yes, and I appreciated it greatly. <laughs> Big thank Your you support to... helped keep Charlie's lights on. Helped keep yeah, Charlie literally, I paid my electric bill with it. So. <laughs> um, so as part of the new colony on Earth, the Nephilim sets up a mining operation. Right, they're they're drilling for oil and they're mining for gold. Uh, the humans of the time were far too primitive to work the mines, so they turned to their own. And now, on Nerubu, there are two classes of beings. Right, there's the Nephilim, which are the high, the, the high, the rulers and the you know the, the the top of the the food chain, the top of the pyramid, whatever you want to say. And then underneath them are the Anunnaki. All right. Ah, yes. here we are. And there, there's quite a few of them, and they're actually, you know, far more evolved than humans even are. However, they're not quite as evolved as as the uh, Nephilim. So this Correct. is the Anunnaki. So they put the Anunnaki to work, and they go get in the mines, mine that gold. Um, Almost like a slave race. Yeah, it's weird, right? Um, <laughs> hang on to that because it's going to come back. Uh, so after about thirty. Uh, 130,000 years of the Anunnaki working in the mines, they'd had enough and they they rebelled. There was, it was, it was, uprising. A, it was a mutiny against the, the Nephilim and they said they're tired of being the ones who had to toil in the mines and they refused to work anymore. So now Take the Nephilim. down the upper class. Exactly. Put them in their place. Let's work. You may not say that for much longer though. <laughs> so the revolution. <laughs> Here we go. So this is from the 12th plan. I'm going to read from the book again. Then, faced with the need for manpower, resolved to obtain a primitive worker, the Nephilim saw a ready-made solution to domesticate a suitable animal. The, quote, animal was available, but Homo erectus posed a problem. On the one hand, he was too intelligent and wild to be. I, I knew you were going to laugh at Erectus. I just fucking knew it. I just was like, if I can get the, through this story without him laughing at Erectus, I'm going to, I'm doing a great job. Homo and Erectus is what Austin calls his dick. <laughs> Dalton, you're really going to fucking hate crime, Austin, during fucking Pride Month? Months during Pride Month, you're gonna fucking say that shit. God if damn! I, if I didn't give him shit because it was Pride true. Month, I'd that would make me a homophobe. That's true. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> You're targeting me with love. <laughs> yes, exactly. Love for his erect penis. Yeah, I'm not gonna lie. This is the one time that I had a joke that I had second thoughts about. 
<laughs> I, that's okay. when you know it's a good joke if you have second thoughts before you say it you know it's gonna fucking hit hard dear listener this is out to you I, I i just have to say that i i'm glad that my penis is always on the tip of dalton's lips I, that's all you know <laughs> it would, i wouldn't be a good friend if it wasn't no it's true you, you're a great friend <laughs> oh reach around harris uh anyway <laughs> that's my nickname in high school Oh, we know, we know. We, we did the background check. We talked to all those guys at the creek in the last episode of Adult Tales. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> so I'm gonna have to. I got to rewind a little bit now. Um, the animal was available, but Homo erectus posed a problem. On the one hand, he was too. You didn't laugh that time. I'm proud of you. Uh, he was too intelligent and wild to become simply a docile beast at work. On the other I hand, this <laughs> <laughs> on the other hand he was not really suited to the task his physique had to be changed he had to be able to grasp and use the tools of the nephilim walk and bend like them so that he could replace the gods in the fields and in the mines he had to have better quote brains not like those of the gods but enough to understand speech and commands and the tasks allotted to him he needed enough cleverness and understanding to be an obedient and useful uh amula which is the meaning of a surf. So basically they're creating workers. Mm. The Nephilim having arrived on earth to set up with their colonies had created their own brand of slavery, not with slaves imported from another continent, but with the primitive workers fashioned by the Nephilim themselves. A mutiny of the gods had led to the creation of man. These motherfuckers created slavery. <laughs> yeah. They also created us. They created both of these things. Mm. We were created as slaves. So uh, modern humans or homo sapiens were created by genetic manipulation to be the slaves of the Nephilim. So they took the little bit of the Nephilim DNA, combined it with homo erectus, and we got homo sapiens. That's, that's, that's the history, according to Sitchens. Um, this would occur about 40 shars, which is years consisting of 3,600 human years, so 40 years to the Nephilim, after the first landing on Earth, or 144,000 human years. Oof, boy. Yep, it's right there. There it is. So 144,000 human years after the Nephilim arrived, they create Homo sapiens. And we've got our number again. I'm just saying, a lot of shit's adding up. <laughs> Listen, I want to hear. I want to hear this dude out. So these are going along pretty well until they weren't, and the Nephilim started to become concerned. Um, from this is from Genesis again. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight and was full of violence. God saw how corrupt the earth had become, for all the people of earth had corrupted their ways. So basically, when you corrupt the slave people, you've got these godlike entities. You're going to eventually want to have sex with them. Hello, Thomas Jefferson, because that's just what you do, I guess, when you have slaves. Um, humans started being humans, a bunch of violence. There was a bunch of you know sexual assaults that were happening. The gods were assaulting humans. Humans were assaulting humans. It was just got really kind of nasty. Um, and as a result, in the, the Bible, God sent the great flood to wash out all of man, saving only Noah and his family. Right. We know that. I mean, story. Did that's you see so how hot Gozer the Gozerian was? Like, <laughs> I'd want a fucker too. Jesus. Like, <laughs> damn. Just couldn't control himself. 
Yeah. Seriously. There's a lot of that. A lot, whole lot of fucking. And that was like the the but the how many at the end of that, that film just covered in fucking white foam. <laughs> it's very true. That that actually strikes at a new level now. Um so instead of God sending the great flood to wash out man and save Noah, such a take is a little different. Um, humans have been corrupted, but the Anunnaki were partially to blame as were the Nephilim. They had taken their human mistresses and wives and it just was a mess. So eventually the high King of the Nephilim Enlil, had had enough. He realized that there was about to be a great flood uh, because of just the weather patterns and everything that was happening. And he decided to abandon the project on earth and return home. But what he didn't know was that Inki, who was another Nephilim who had spent the most time around humans, had grown fond of them. And he tipped off one human as to what was about to happen. This human's name was Zaisudra, um, or in the Old Testament, Noah. So there's a, like a direct line between the Sumerian tablets to Noah. Um, Zaisudra was the actually the last Sumerian king before the great flood in Sumerian myth. Now, so, in their mythology, there's the same story happened noah collects two of every animal on earth and puts them on a big boat no not specifically so you know sitchens is kind of creating a a little dotted line um the great flood or the deluge took place around thirteen thousand years ago um not only did it wipe out most of humanity but sitchens says that it also washed away any and all signs of the nephilim's presence on earth which is why we haven't found any evidence of launch platforms or advanced ship used to quickly haul gold from the mines in South Africa to Sumer- to Sum- to Samaria. Okay. Um, so that's that's kind of like that's why we haven't found anything. But what he did say is a parting gift um, to Noah. I'm just going to call him Noah because I keep fucking up the Sumerian pronunciation. Right. Um, perhaps knowing that they wouldn't be back for another 3,600 years, he bestowed the gift of agriculture to humankind. So this would have been around 11,000 BC, which historical records says that's about when we became an agrarian society. So he's saying, Hey, this was the Nephilim. They said, learn to plant seeds and to live off of the land. We'll be back in 3,600 years. We'll see you then. Hmm. And then they released the flood. Um, Subsequent visits blessed man with uh, Neolithic culture and animal husbandry in um, 7,500 BC. So that's 3,600 years later. We learned how to raise cattle and we started building um, Neolithic culture. And then 3,600 years after that, we were given the gift of modern civilization, which was the Sumerians, the actual Sumerians in about Mm -hmm. 3,800 BC. So again, each 3,600 years, humans have hit these milestones and it's because the Nephilim have come back to earth and showed us how to do it. Guided dude, us. dude, I'm all in. <laughs> I don't think you realize you're currently creating a monster. Oh, I, know. Like- I know exactly what I'm doing. This is me mastermind. This is me knowing exactly what I'm doing. Okay. Um, so Sitchin would link the existence of the 12th planet to the existence of 12 deities in various societies over time. So in Greek mythology, there was always a pantheon of 12 gods, right? It was, Mm -hmm. that was the number. If one God fell or died or fell out of favor, they were immediately replaced by another one. It always had to be 12. And so that lends credence to Sitchin's theory that there are 12 planets or that's that the Sumerians thought that there were 12 planets. Um, The common listing of the, okay, here, here's a game. I'm going to play with you. The Pantheon, Greek Pantheon of oh, gods. How many gods, how many Greek gods can you name of the Pantheon, the 12? 
Zeus, Hades, um, this Hercules one, or no. is he just the son of a god? He's the son of a god. Okay. Um, Zeus, Hades, Kratos. Like no, that was God of War. <laughs> well, he Kratos was the real God so- of War. Kratos was trying to take it over from somebody who was that somebody. Uh, also, Hades wasn't part of the pantheon. He was cast out, but he was a Greek god. god. Um. I don't fucking know. Who ruled the sea? Huh? Who ruled the uh, sea? Fucking uh, the dude with the trident. Yeah, um, what's his name? Uh, uh, fuck, Little Mermaid, come join me. Um, uh, Poseidon. There you go. They got two. Who is the god of or goddess of love? Uh, Hermaphrodite. Yeah. No. Hermaphrodite. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, Hermaphrodite is a food that makes you horny. Um, no, that's aphrodisiac. Oh shit! Okay, hermaphrodite is someone who's born with multiple genitals or no genitals. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Um, okay, I'm gonna try and give you some. There, is, you're not gonna get most of these. God of War. Uh, Mars. That is close. Or Ares. That's the Roman. There you go, Ares. That's the one. Um, how about uh, the goddess of handbags? This is a half oh, joke. No, um, Hermes. Athena. Hermes, Hermes, but <laughs> Athena's on there. Yeah, you're right. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah. Um, there's the god of of wine and like merriment. There's one of my favorites, Dionysus. Okay. Anyway, we're not gonna spend more time. That's just we're just a little party god. <laughs> anyway, um, but twelve, the number twelve also played part in other mythologies. Uh, this is again from Sitchin regarding Hinduism. Um, a dynastic head, Kashyapa, was also chief of the Devas, which is the Shining Ones, and bore the title Dias Pitar, Shining Father. Together with his consort and 10 children, the divine family made up the 12 Adityas, Adityas gods who were each assigned a sign in the zodiac in a celestial body. Kashyapa's celestial body was the shining star. Prithivi represented the earth. Then there were the gods whose celestial counterparts included the sun, the moon, Mars, Mercury, Jupiter, Venus, and Saturn. In time, the leadership of the Pantheon of 12 passed to Varuna, the god of heavenly expanse. He was omnipresent and all seeing. One of the hymns to him reads almost like a big psalm. Um, So like he's talking about like, why are there 12 months? Because there are 12 planets. Why are there all these 12 gods? Because there's 12 planets. Why are there, you know, like 12 apostles? Because there's 12 planets. So he he really has fun with his numerology, which is part of the reason that I talked about it earlier. Um, There's a lot of these tricks he could pull out. Like he really fixates on one narrative and then he kind of just selects, he pulls the data that backs it up. And he sort of ignores everything else that's going on as a result. And like a true you, scholar should. Exactly. Like a true grifter should. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so I'm not going to like totally debunk this. I am going to point out a few holes in kind of his logic, but I will say that before I do that, I really like Zachariah Sitchin. He's been one of my favorite people that we've covered on the show. And I like him so much that he actually has a series of seven books. And I think I kind of want to dip into each of them because they, they like, there he's got more books than seven and he sold millions of fucking books i mean he sold a shitload of books but he has this seven that are called i believe they're called like the earth um like the seven volumes of like the earth origin story i can't remember exactly what it's called and i wish i'd written it down but i didn't but i want to go into these because they get into like genesis and the garden of eden and all this other stuff and i think that there could be some really fun stuff to talk about with him i um 
generally i don't consider him a shithead but we'll talk about that in a in a, in a couple of minutes <laughs> so this is you know he's, he's not so bad so um and a planet that is 3600 years from the nearest star you're gonna have a cold dark planet for almost the entire time yeah. right more often than not which is going to be incapable of growing plants and sustaining life and so unless they have plants that have evolved past the point of needing photosynthesis and then they're not green mostly <laughs> so that means they're eating you know weird colored plants but i also would say but that's not necessarily my argument it's like if you found earth why wouldn't you just stay Right. Right. If you have this planet that's cold and dark all the time, go to Earth, stay. And I read a little bit about this and, and they were talking about the one of the things is that the Nibiru is radioactive and the, the radioactivity heats up the, the planet. But that also kind of gives me more questions than answers that all these guys are radioactive okay. walking around on this highly radioactive planet. Anyway, um, the other thing is. To the best of our knowledge, the Sumerians did not know of more than five planets. Um, those five planets are the ones that you can actually see with your naked eye from Earth, which make up Mercury, Venus, Mars, Jupiter, and Saturn. Okay. Right? Yeah. Now, to an ancient people, how do you know what's a planet and what's a star? You don't. Unless you have like some primitive form of telescope, which I don't think they had, right? No. So you actually can because stars... The, the earth is rotating, and so the stars all rotate the same time. However, planets also rotate in their own rotation. So stars rotate together, and then you've got these other stars, which is what they thought they were, but they called them wandering stars because they didn't move with the rest of the stars mm -hmm. since they're in their okay. own orbit. And the, um, the word planet actually comes from the Greek word planetes, which means wanderer. So they were, they were watching the skies and they were going like everything, but that thing, that little dot is moving different than everything else. That's different. How the That's fuck a wandering did they notice star. that? Well, they had a lot of free time. There was no internet at the time. That's um, true. That's true. Like they studied the skies. It was astronomers did. And so to the naked eye, they, they identified five of these wandering stars not 12 and early astronomers only figured out that there were planets beyond Saturn using math before they could actually confirm that they existed with the use of telescopes and things like that. So right. it, it's, it's a little questionable. And, you know, I mean, Sitchins would say, well, it's because the uh, Nephilim came down and told them about it, but I don't know. That's just, that's just something to think about. Um, you know, the other thing is that there's not near the Sitchins makes a big deal about like, hey, there's not nearly enough time for man to have evolved from Homo erectus to Homo sapiens. But in truth, if you look at history, humans have seen like big evolutionary jumps about every two million years, give or take, just naturally. That was how evolution right. with humans did. And it kind of matches up with the emergence of Homo sapiens. So that's kind of naturally without like interference or DNA. But that's a big part of his argument. Um, he, the other thing that bothered, and these are just things that bothered me. Like I'm saying, I'm not debunking this because I, you know, it could be, this could be. Why? Why not? Right? An alternate Earth theory. That's fun. That's, that's cool to think about. It's interesting stuff. But he also said like his alien spaceships are fueled by petroleum. They sound very familiar to the, the, the spaceships of the time. Like in the 70s, mm -hmm. spaceships were landing in water. You know, like the capsules were landing in the water and you had to build launch platforms and things like that. Right. So that, that was a little suspicious. But again, I thought 
Sitchin's work is far more fun and a lot more thoughtful than anything that that fucking clown Von Donneken ever wrote. For and sure. I, For know, sure. Like, I think he's legitimately believes what he's writing. I think he's harmless. I think he's very funny and he's a sweet old man. Um, I and- think it's just plain fun. It's, it's fun. fun. I love like, it. This is a like fun. You growth. want to you want to believe that, right? Like yeah. it's a it's a great story. Yeah, and and it's like you know he's never raised any alarms. He sold a shitload of books, which is what authors want to do. The only the, the only critical thing I could say of him is that his re- writing inspired some really shitty grifters in his wake. Um, aside from Nancy Leiter, there is also. David Icke, who talks yeah. about yeah. reading some Zachariah Sitchin. David Icke is very oh, fucking is another problematic thing. Yeah, a lot of, lot of anti-Semitism there. Um, yeah. So uh, this is... Um, David Icke was was influenced by Sitchin's. He popularized the reptilian conspiracy, which is what you just talked about. Um, Sitchin's basically told Icke to knock it off his knock off his bullshit. This is actually from Icke's book, which I went and looked up. It's called the the biggest secret, and this is a quote from it. I found it staggering that Sitchin personally told me there was no evidence of a serpent race and advised me to cease my research into subject matters. So Icke was like, "Hey, don't you believe in these reptilians?" Meanwhile, Sitchin's a Jew is going. Knock it the fuck off, you bigoted <laughs> asshole. <laughs> but he was very polite about it. And, right. and Ike is like staggered by that. Um, he also, Sitchin's also attempted to distance himself from Nancy Leiter. Um, and he published a book called End of Days in 2007 to address her claims. Like mm-hmm. he went so far as he's like, I'm going to debunk you so much that I'm going to write a book about it. Um, he booked in that book. He claims the last time that Nerubu passed the earth was in 556 BC, which means the next time it would pass earth would be around 2900 AD. So he was like, bitch, quit flapping your gums. You're wrong. Your dates off. It's not going to happen until 2900. Quit cashing in on this planet X bullshit, which I think mm-hmm. is phenomenal. Like that's the best way. Oh, a scholar can shut some- I know I, I do. Good for I, him. Yeah. Um, so I like Sitchens and I really do want to come back and cover him if there's some interesting stuff in his other books. Um, and that's it. That's I'm the all episode. for like, you know, I hate part two. It's all for like a Zachary Sitchin part two. This yeah. I think, really well, fun. he's got six other books in the same series. So I'll read through them. They're long and they're very dense, but they're not poorly written, which is like most of these grifters that I, that I read through. Uh, I also think it was like, let's do a light one. Cause we've got a slew of really heavy ones coming up. So let's do something fun. Here we go. Oh yeah. With all some... the murder and all no, the we're stealing do... from all the stealing <laughs> from poor people and all the, Oh no. Uh, oh no. We got some, we got some, we got some darkness coming. We got some, some real, real winners coming. We've got, so I don't know what order these are going to come out, but kind of the next one's up. We're going to talk about Sylvia Brown, the psychic. Ooh, fun. Oh, she's fucking horrible. I really fun. have a hard time remaining um, unbiased when I talk about are her. Are we going to have a uh, guest for the episode? Not for that one. Unfortunately. After Sylvia Brown or in the mix, we've also got uh, David Miskovich coming up, possibly with a special guest. And we're going to eventually do um, part two of our prison industrial complex series. So those will probably be most likely, unless I get distracted, um, those are going to be our our next three. Um, I'm working on a few things there might also be an episode about Wayne LaPierre, the current CEO of the of the NRA. Um, but we'll see. We'll we'll, we'll see how much Very is there. Very excited to uh, 
jump into uh, old David there in the Church of Scientology. Where is your wife, David? Let yes. us know. Where is your wife? No one has seen her since 2007. Where is she? <laughs> it's a long time. So yeah, so that's that's kind of what's on the horizon. But that is Zachariah Sitchens. And I think that was, I hope that was a fun little get away from what we've what we usually do and yeah. i had fun doing it i had fun writing had about it fun. so i really want to do some more because unlike von donnekin who i think is a, a jewel thief asshole grifter like to the worst degree i think zechariah is far more respected and i could see why because he really does have kind of a a central ideation through his work and i think that he really believes it and he had a great i actually read a really fun story so he lived he lived in new york city until he died um, and he is like in his little tiny apartment on the upper East side. And he has been, he used to write into the editor at the New York times trying to like defend his views. And he would write about how like some of the rivers in Egypt were made by ancient men or ancient. Like, and he would go back and forth with these historians. Why in the do pages you think the, the Nile is the only river that flows, that flows North and <laughs> makes sense. So that's no, because it goes towards the equator. That's why. But anyway, uh, he just, he was a very like fun, delightful man but he talked about how he's like he's like in his 80s and he goes of course i live in new york city he goes why would i go anywhere else he goes i step out of my apartment i put my hand up there's a car it takes me to the deli or it takes me to the diner i get dinner he's like i've got everything at my fingertips i would never go anywhere else so he's like a hardcore new yorker and i can get behind that i I love that about him um but yeah it's good stuff yeah man you know who else i think would enjoy this who's that our friends. We have friends. Check out our friends at Pod Van Dam by WTV Guide. Super fantastic. It's been a long time since you've done this. To, that's all you need to know. <laughs> um, yeah. If I, you know what? If you're a podcast and you have a connection to us, DM me on Twitter and I'll add you to the list. I will make a physical list because what? I don't know if, yeah, Who I will make you? a physical list. Yeah. I want th- this new apartment, new apartment, new me, baby. All right. DM me on Twitter. Big, I'll make a list. It's a big deal. And we'll go from there. You know who, what else you check out? You should check out Austin's other podcast called Against Austin, where him and Dwayne go over the band against me and go through their discography and review it. And they have a whole bunch of fun. Dwayne teaches Austin about a whole bunch of stuff. And it's a really good listen. I listen every other week. It's fantastic. Um, you can support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash for catch my grass. We have a whole bunch of bonus content coming up Two Dalt tales are coming and an Austin Patreon podcast is coming out. Also, um, you get that in the whole backlog of everything we've posted so far. Um, we have stickers coming soon. All the patrons want to get stickers in the mail as soon as Charlie Butters sends them in the mail. Well, what's going to happen is if you go to AIW on Friday, uh, June, is it 17th? Yeah, I think that sounds right. Yeah. If you go to AIW this Friday, uh, come see me. I'll get you your stickers. I'll have some on me. I'll make sure everybody that is local gets them. And then the following week, I will uh, mail out to the rest of the uh, Patreon uh, good. members. So You can follow us on Twitter at CatchMyGriffPod, where it will be a lot more active. I'm out of my depressive slump, and I'm ready to post online again. You can follow <laughs> me on Twitter at GriffBoyDalt. You can follow Austin on Twitter at Austin Agogo. You can follow Charlie on Twitter at Charlie underscore Butters. And if there's anything that you've learned today is you don't need to listen to the Bible. You don't need to listen to the Quran. What you need to listen to is the works of Zachariah Sitchin. 
I okay, you say me. <laughs> no. Well, yes, listen to Austin. He's a smart guy. Zacharias said, this, this, or this philosophy is something I can get behind. This is right up my alley, baby. <laughs> I'm ready to I, I just enjoy Austin's teaching, though, which is don't grift and stay beautiful.